uh, in his best-selling book. It, it was called The Road Less Traveled. You ever read that book? Scott Peck begins the book with three very simple, very memorable words. Life is difficult. And, and Peck argues that once we just realize that reality, that in part enables us to begin to overcome the difficulties in our life. Because life often is hard. It's often challenging. And, and really, many times, it can be difficult to understand. It can even be confusing. It might even lead us to the point where we, like that ancient prophet Jeremiah, might even raise words of complaint to God. This is how Jeremiah put it in Jeremiah 12.1. Righteous are you, O Lord, when I complain to you. Yet I would plead my case before you. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all who are treacherous thrive? To put it another way, God, why is life, even for your followers, so difficult? <laughs> and really, coming on the heels of that question is, so how do we trust God in the challenges of life, when at times life even might seem like it's crushing us? I mean, because if we're gonna survive those times, there really are some foundational truths that we need to commit ourselves to. And, and that's why in this teaching series, we're coming to the book of Jeremiah to identify some of those truths. Because Jeremiah, he knew difficulties. He knew the challenges of life. He, he ministered, he prophesied without much apparent fruit for decades. And all this was six centuries before Jesus. And he ministered in a deeply challenging context. So I want us to do, before we even come to the text today, I want us to review again some of the historical context before we read from Jeremiah. Because again, as we've noted before, if you come to the book of Jeremiah with really no understanding of its background or context, you really will easily miss some of its core and rich teachings. So today, this is what I want us to do. I want to, again, review, look at some of the historical context of the books, and then we're going to look particularly at one or two of the dominant themes, core teachings in Jeremiah, and then we're going to ask, okay, so what does this mean for us, all right? That's our path today. So first, let's, let's talk about the context. Again, Jesus touched on this again last weekend, but be reminded of this. Let's go to the maps again. We need to remember when Jeremiah was ministering, he was ministering in the time of the Assyrian Empire. And we noted before, this is what it looks like. Next slide. There we go. There's the Assyrian Empire. And again, it was based up in Nineveh by the Purple Arrow. And, and we reminded ourselves of this, that during the time of Jeremiah, that down by the Red Arrow, Israel was a divided kingdom. The northern kingdom was called, called, called Israel, the southern kingdom was called Judah. It included Jerusalem. That's where Jeremiah ministered. And, and during this time, again, a hundred years before Jeremiah, the Assyrian Empire came into Israel, the northern kingdom, took that nation captive, took them away into captivity. Okay, now, now something that's kind of an interesting side or footnote to this, just worth noting. Uh, I, I imagine most of us, or all of us, have heard of the Samaritans of the New Testament. I mean, do you ever wonder, why were the Samaritans so despised by the Jews, as Scripture describes? Well, part of the reason, 
Samaritans were actually Jews who were allowed to stay in the nation of Israel in the northern kingdom during the Assyrian captivity because they really acquiesced to Assyrian rule and religion. They then kind of intermingled with, they interbred with Gentiles and Assyrians, which Jews didn't do. So, so get a picture of this. Say, say you're a Jewish family. You are taken away into captivity into Syria, and, and some of your Jewish cousins get to stay back home because in your assessment, they caved in. They bought into paganism. And, and that's what the Jews who came to be called Samaritans did. You know, try to, just trying to give kind of a modern equivalent of this, it, that was something like if there were Jews who avoided German persecution by cuddling up to the invading Nazis during World War II. Got a picture of that? That's pretty much what happened in the Northern Kingdom, in ancient Israel. Think that might have caused some bad blood there? Even with the Jews down in Judah? So, the, the Samaritans, they were actually relatives of the Jews. And we know this, there is no bad blood like family bad blood, right? And that bad blood was ignited by the Assyrian captivity. Okay, so that's just kind of a biblical footnote worth noting. Like when you read that Jesus tells this story where the hero is a good Samaritan? What? Or you, you read that Jesus extends new life to an adulterous Samaritan woman. He meets at a water well. Are you kidding me? Or you go to Luke 9 and you read of Jesus traveling down to Jerusalem, heading for the cross. He comes with his disciples to a Samaritan village. That village rejects him. They don't welcome Jesus. Remember what his disciples said? Should we call down fire from heaven to destroy them, Lord? Can we finally give these people some payback? And Jesus rebukes them. Because here's the reality. Even to hated traitors, Jesus offers grace. Okay, now, now back to Jeremiah. All right, okay, so as we've seen already in the previous weeks, Jeremiah was warning the people of Judah, the southern kingdom, that captivity and destruction was going to happen to them also if they didn't turn back to God. Because he said there's another empire coming, the Babylonian empire is coming. From Babylon, this empire is coming down to Judah. Okay, now, now just another couple other pieces of historical background before we read from Jeremiah. Okay, now during the 40 years that Jeremiah prophesied, there were actually five different kings who reigned over Judah during that time. Now we're gonna mention a couple of them today, so I just wanna give you a bit of a picture so it makes sense. The five last kings of Judah, the first one was Josiah, and Josiah, his father was Manasseh, who was an evil king, finally repented at one point, but most of his reign was evil. Josiah was good. His, after Josiah's 31 years, the next king after Josiah, his son, let's throw it up there, boom, Jehoahaz. Long reign of three months, 
Didn't go so well for Jehoahaz. Next king after Jehoahaz, another one of Josiah's son, Jehoiakim. 11 years he reigned. After he came down from the throne, Jehoiakim's son, Jehoiakim. You thought you messed your kids' names up. Imagine that family. He reigned also for three months, not very long. After him, another one of Josiah's son, the next one, Zedekiah, came and reigned. He reigned for 11 years. So those are all the kings. You don't need to remember all these names. They're not going to be on the test. The one thing, I want you to remember this. Through all that reign, all these kings, the only king who sought God, who followed God, was Josiah. The only one who pursued God while Jeremiah was ministering. Just keep that in mind. That's the context within which he was ministering. A challenging context to say the least. So Jeremiah, there he is. He preached and prophesied to these kings and the people of Judah for 40 years. Again, from about the age of 17 to 57, that's what he did. From, remember these dates, from 627 B.C. to 587 B.C. A long and again, apparently fruitless time. And again, his message was just a warning about this event that would take place, and it would take place in July of 587 B.C., the destruction of Judah and Jerusalem. So for 40 years, have this picture in mind as we read this text. For 40 years, Jeremiah goes to bed at night, every night, and has a recurring nightmare. It's a nightmare in which the city in which he lives, Jerusalem, is burned to the ground by the coming Babylonians. The city walls are breached, the temple to God is destroyed, and the people are massacred. That's what's on his mind. That's what's in his heart. God has given him a revelation of what's to come. If the leaders and people of Judah don't turn from their wickedness and rebellion, if they don't turn back to God. And understand, their wickedness had even grown to the point they were actually, at this time, offering their own children in sacrifice to the gods Baal and Asherah. That's how far they'd gone. So for 40 years, Jeremiah preaches with those images of coming destruction burning in his mind as the people ignored him and deride him. So we just, we need to understand Jeremiah's anguish at the people's apathy at their defiance, just as one year after another, one king after another rolls on. And here's what you notice when you read Jeremiah. You notice quickly, Jeremiah talks a lot about God's righteous wrath and God's judgment. Ever notice that? <laughs> and he, why so much focus on holy wrath and judgment? I mean, when, when Jeremiah says the judgment of God is coming, the Babylonians are coming, why is he focused on this 40 years before it happens, 30 years, 20 years, continually until it eventually happens? You know why he keeps saying this? Because he longs for the people to repent, to turn. I mean, understand this. What he's offering when he speaks about judgment is that the God of heaven wants to spare you from judgment. He wants to forgive you. He wants you to come back to him. He wants to protect you, to keep you. So understand, he says, understand, judgment consequences are coming, and if you don't turn, if you, if you don't repent, so please turn back to God. Because if you don't, this is where it will lead. I've seen the visions. 
So just understand this. Every word of judgment in Jeremiah is an invitation from God for people to respond to him, to turn to him, to be spared. Understand, every word of judgment is really an invitation to mercy. That's what it's about as we read this. And, and we hear it in these scriptures. I want to read several passages. Let's start in Jeremiah 4. Jeremiah 4, if you want to turn there. And reading there, let's begin in verse 1. And we'll read several, several of these passages. Jeremiah 4, verse 1. And as we hear it, remember, friends, this is the word of God. And God says to Jeremiah, If you return, O Israel, declares the Lord, to me you should return. If you remove your detestable things from my presence and do not waver, and if you swear as the Lord lives in truth, in justice, and in righteousness, then nations shall bless themselves in him, and in him shall they glory. And then flip over to chapter 6. Look at this, this is chapter 6, verse 16. Thus says the Lord, once again, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths. That, that's the paths of faith, like of Moses, where the good way is, and walk in it. And as you walk in that, find rest for your souls, God invites. Or look in the middle of Jeremiah. This is Jeremiah chapter 25. Jeremiah 25 in verse 5. The Lord says, Turn now every one of you from his evil way and evil deeds. Dwell upon the land that the Lord has given to you and your fathers from of old and forever. God says, I want to dwell with you. And here's what Jeremiah keeps saying. There are essentially two paths in life. That's what he's saying. He just keeps telling the people, understand this. There's one path that's a way of God in life. And, and maybe that path will be more difficult. It seems harder. But it's a way of blessing. And, and God will walk with you. And in this path, you will find life. But he says also, understand, there is another path. And that path seems easier. It does. And certainly it is far more popular. So many people take it. But ultimately, understand, that path leads to death and destruction. So you need to choose the path that leads to life. That sound familiar? Six centuries later, Jesus is giving a sermon up at the northern end of the Sea of Galilee, his Sermon on the Mount, and he says, essentially there are two paths. There are two gates you can choose in life. Listen to how he put it. This is in Matthew. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. Jesus said, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide. It is. And, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it are many. For the gate is narrow. The way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few, Jesus says. This picture, two paths in life. We're familiar with those pictures, Right? We're familiar with Robert Frost, the great poet, his famous words where he said, there are two paths, two roads that diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that's made all the difference. I mean, I think we understand this. I, we understand there are two paths we can choose from. And Jeremiah was saying, he was imploring the people, return to the ancient paths, and in that you'll experience rest for your souls. Now, many of you might be aware 
that the word turn, that Jeremiah used repeatedly in the book of Jeremiah, the original Hebrew word that we translate as turn is a familiar Hebrew word, very easy to say, it is shub. Wanna try that one with me? There, here you go, another Hebrew word. Now when you translate shub into the Greek, it's translated as metanoia. Now when we translate metanoia into English, it comes out as our word repent. And understand, the idea of shub, the idea of repent, is that you're walking along a path in one direction. You're heading along that path. And it doesn't take a prophet to realize that this path's gonna lead to some destruction, some pain. But then there's this other path. It's this ancient path, the narrow path, the path of God, of Christ. And it's, we're told, will lead to life. And we think about that in our day. Let's bring that to our day. And, and ask the question, okay, in our day, what are some of the paths that take us away from God in our day? What are some of the paths that kind of lead to pain? And again, you don't have to be a prophet to discern what some of those paths are, and, and there are many. Well, one of them, one of them would be the struggle for some of fidelity. I mean, when you struggle with this, or when you step into infidelity, there's a family that gets destroyed, maybe two families. Again, it doesn't take a prophet to declare that's what's gonna happen. That's just kind of natural consequences of those kind of choices. Or today, another one of the struggles, false paths that we see in our day, not just um, in our culture in North America, but around the world with the internet, is pornography. And, and that's a path truly. It, it has this appearance of gratification and pleasure to begin with. But then individuals testify again and again it eats away your soul. It dehumanizes others. It separates individuals from one another, from God. Again, it doesn't take a prophet to say that being ensnared in pornography isn't a path that's gonna lead to hope in life. Or in our materialistic culture, where really our entire society is kinda of drawn into the path for more, often at the expense of the least and disenfranchised in our world. And it really, it often doesn't seem to matter how many people turn to us and say at the end of their life who have been consumed by that pathway, you need to hear what I sacrificed relationally in life and love in my journey because of this hunger for more. And all these paths, and, and again, many, many others, they lead to a destiny of pain, of heartache, of just emptiness. And so Jeremiah says, he said to his day, he really still says to ours, do you want life? Then choose the ancient paths. Choose to follow God, to turn back to him, and you'll find in him deliverance, salvation. Now when you look at this, what again I find interesting is that for 40 years, Jeremiah preaches this. Again, he's thrown in jail, tossed in a well, beaten, left to die. Others try to kill him, and he has to go into hiding. For 40 years, you can put it this way, every weekend he comes to church and preaches the same message. And what's he get for it? This junk. Because he's preaching this word. Judgment is coming unless you turn back to God. But the people don't listen, nor do the kings after Josiah. And he keeps preaching. Catch this. He keeps preaching all the way to the end. 
He keeps preaching to June of 587 BC, one month before Judah was destroyed, when the Babylonians are really on their way. They're about to knock down the final city walls. Jeremiah, at that point, he is still saying, you're not too far gone. God hasn't given up to you. I mean, even now, if you turn to him, he'll spare you. He'll deliver you. I mean, you're going to have the Babylonians as your neighbors. That's, that's happening now. You're going to have to pay tribute to them, but God will save the city even now if you turn back to him. So there's this interesting passage in Jeremiah 38. If you want to flip over there. In Jeremiah 38, you find that the king, Zedekiah, is now the king. And he calls for Jeremiah. And at this point, Jeremiah is in prison. He'd been arrested already. And this is maybe a month before the city falls to Babylon. So there's Jeremiah. He comes up from arrest in prison. And Zedekiah calls him. And you have this king, this fascinating scene where the king is with this ostracized, just ridiculed prophet. And listen to this exchange, verse 17. Then Jeremiah said to Zedekiah, thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, the God of Israel, if you will surrender to the officials of the king of Babylon, then your life shall be spared, and the city shall not be burned with fire, and you and your house shall live. If you would just call out to God, and again, surrender to Babylon. So have, consider this, after all their infidelity to God, after their gluttony, their idolatry, after the lack of compassion and mercy for the least of society, after all their oppression of the poor, after 39 years, 11 months of Jeremiah preaching this, God still extends the invitation, I will spare you if you turn to me. I mean, if you submit to, you, to me and you surrender the king of the Babylonians, you won't be killed. Your, your house, your family will live. The city won't fall. Please, just go and surrender. Call out to me. I, I will save you in this hour. And you hear that and you think, okay, so, so what did Zedekiah choose to do finally? Again, picture the scene. Knowing Zedekiah knew there was an army of tens of thousands of soldiers right outside his walls, ready to invade the city. Does he finally choose to surrender to God and to the Babylonians? No, he doesn't. And really ask, at that point, why in the world doesn't he surrender? <laughs> a number of years ago, before I, we had come to Calgary, I met with a man who was part of our, our church family then, and, I, I, and he told me as we met, I'd, I've never told anyone this, but I need to tell someone. I began to describe some illegal stuff he'd been involved with, infidelities he'd committed, other darknesses he'd been a part of. And he, and he knew at that point, as we met that evening, it was about to all come out. And he said, what should I do? And I said, and it, it only makes sense to surrender. I, I don't see another answer. That if you just surrender to the police before they arrest you. Con confess this all to God. And, and let your family know, because they're about to find out. I don't see another pathway in it. And I, I don't know what outcome there's going to be. I mean, there aren't any guarantees, I told him, but Every other option, it's going to lead to a worse outcome. I mean, you're likely facing legal consequences, but you can go into those with some peace with God's strength with you because our God is a God of new beginnings. 
and just encourage him. If you trust him, he, he will strengthen you. There, there's hope in him. And he said, I can't do that. And so we prayed together and he walked out. And he ended up being arrested, convicted, lost his family, tragically walked through that entire time without turning to God. And, and really, similarly, he asked, oh man, why did he surrender? And, and it might have been pride. It, it could have been arrogance, just thinking, I'm going to warm my way out of this one last time. I know I can do it. it or it might have been fear. And, and really partly wondered, was it because he couldn't forgive himself in this? Was it because he, he couldn't believe there was still a way of grace and hope for him? And really, I, I think we all struggle with that to different degrees. I mean, when it comes to those things that, that we might confess to God, release to God, trust God in obedience and faith. And so this is what happened to Zedekiah and Judah. Because he couldn't do it. Within a few weeks, the Babylonians, they tore down one of the sections of the walls of the city of Jerusalem. They marched in the city. They, they went first to the temple. They went to where the treasury was. They, they took all of value there, everything gold and silver that was meant for worship to God. Then they removed all the items of worship that were there in the altar, destroyed them. Everything was designed for Yahweh. They took everything away, and then they plundered the royal palace. Now, now, while all this was happening, Zedekiah managed somehow with his family to slip, slip out the back city gate. He was trying to escape the city. He was actually headed down to Jericho. The Babylonian king discovered it, sent troops to bring him back to him. And they were brought back to the king. Now, Zedekiah, he was forced to watch as one building after another was burned and destroyed in Jerusalem. He watched the city just turn into rubble. Then they torched and destroyed the temple of God, and then they began to slaughter the people of Jerusalem. And then we read this. This is in Jeremiah 39, verse 6. The king of Babylon slaughtered the sons of Zedekiah at Riblah before his eyes. And the king of Babylon slaughtered all the nobles, all the connected leaders of Judah. And he put out the eyes of Zedekiah, bound him in chains, to take him to Babylon. You know, one of the simple messages of Jeremiah is, and our rebellion has consequences. Sin, choices, has consequences. And, and this as well. God will let us reject him. He'll let you walk in the way you want to walk. He, he gives us freedom to do that. He, he's not going to force you to walk in his pathways. But understand this as well. Up to the last minute, God was pleading to Zedekiah through Jeremiah, oh, please surrender to me. Call out to me. Please trust me. But God wouldn't make him turn. And there was, in the end, this terrible, terrifying consequences, not at the hand of God, but at the hand of the Babylonians. And so we ask, okay, so what's the message for us in this? What is it for us as we hear this? And we look at this and ask, what's it got to do with us today? I mean, this is 2,600 years ago, right? Seen any Babylonians in our streets lately? Why are we concerned with this? Why do we care? Well, again, a reason this book is part of our scriptures is because the truth in it will still speak to us, teach us today. These are timeless truths. Because we know this, don't we? We still struggle with following the pathway of God, don't we? We still turn away from the ancient paths of faith. 
We still struggle with idols that look different, but idols of our own day. We know this. We still chase after things that are never going to give us life. And we find ourselves kind of unwilling to say to God, please forgive me. I will submit to you. I will turn to you. I mean, at times, we might verbalize repentance, but then we just kind of keep on living in defiance of what God guides us in, his will for us, his desire for us. And here's the reality as well. Still today, our choices have consequences. But also this. Still today, our God offers us continually mercy and grace. Just one of the things I, I hope you take away from our text and teaching today is that even when Zedekiah, after year after year of turning away from God, doing what was evil, overseeing injustice and brutality, even then, at that moment, as the gates were coming down, God would have extended grace and deliverance to Zedekiah if only he'd called out to God, even at that moment. Because sometimes today we, we think, you know what, I've, I've gone too far. I hear that from people. You, you don't know what's in my past plight. You don't know what I've done. You don't know who I really am. I mean, I'm, I'm too far along for healing and forgiveness. Or, I've waited too long. The opportunity's over for me. And understand, Scripture again, Jeremiah demonstrates, there is no point you can get to where you are beyond receiving God's forgiveness, mercy, hope, and healing if you just turned him in faith. And, and we still experience consequences for our choices in the world. We do but God has paid the price for your healing. He's provided the pathway for your healing through Jesus Christ. I mean, God's mercy, understand, it is just relentless in his pursuit of you. That's why the great reformer Martin Luther put it this way, the God of creation, he is the hound of heaven. He, he so continually pursues you and those around you, so he calls out with his mercy and grace. You know, when I think about these scriptures and about even the teaching of this message, I, it just, through this week, I've been thinking about some of the people that I had the grace to know and walk with. And this week, I was thinking about a man, I'll, I'll just call him Mike. I got to know him in weird circumstances. He was a drug dealer, he was an addict, he was a murderer. He, he, he lived a life about as dark as you could imagine. And really, his face showed it. I mean, he was in his 40s. He literally looked like he was in his 70s. And when you heard his story, you really wondered, how is this guy not dead or murdered already? How, how is that? And he lived, by his own description, just a godless life. He, his life, he was kind of absolutely devoid of any knowledge of, awareness of, kind of any experience of, or care about the God of Scripture. Completely aware and totally apathetic about it. And, and then through this <laughs> almost inexplicable series of events, he ended up in our church because of a hunger to know about Jesus. And Mike could, would later testify. There is no place you can get to in your life where you are beyond the reach of God's mercy and his healing. And again, I, I think some of you may need to hear that about the God you follow. I, I think some of you you may, as you look out on others who at this point in their lives, they're defiant of God, maybe heading completely along another path. 
You in your mind might characterize them as an enemy, maybe as a Samaritan kind of in your view. And I think today, some of us need to remember our gracious God is reaching out to them with his offer and love and grace right now. That's how our God views them. And others of us, perhaps, maybe you need to hear this message for yourself. Maybe you need to hear it as God's invitation to you today. Maybe there's something in your past that you've, maybe you've even kind of tucked it away deep inside of you. Maybe it's a hurt, maybe it's a, a wound, a failure, a sin. You, you need to know God knows your name. Our God loves you, and he wants to bring your, his healing to you. Because understand this, as Jeremiah declares and demonstrates, our God is more willing to forgive and heal than we are to come to him in confession, submission, and need. He is far more willing to heal us than we are willing to come to him. And that, friends, understand, that's one of the messages of Jeremiah. So can we do this? Will you bow your heads with me? Can we just pray at this moment? Can, can we close our eyes, bow our heads? And just before I pray, I'd, I'd like for us to give us a moment of reflection. Would, would you just think about, is, is there something in my life, maybe I've been afraid to tell my closest friend, maybe even my spouse about. What is it that you carry with you in your life? Maybe it's in the back of your mind where you wonder, could God ever forgive and bring healing to that? And the message today is, our God will forgive that. He can heal that. So I invite you, why don't you begin just by saying a silent prayer to God right now. And in fact, you can repeat this silently after me. Oh God, I need you. I need your mercy. Forgive me and heal me. God, you know the matter that's come to my mind in this teaching. So please forgive me for this specific thing. And would you bring your healing to my life through Jesus Christ? And oh Lord, we, we thank you that you are a God of mercy and grace. That you are, you're relentless in your pursuit of us. You are, even right in this moment, you are calling us, wooing us, inviting us to turn to you, to rest in you. And Lord, would you set us free from the things or lies that entrap us, enslave us, help us move away from the bondage we walk in. And set us free, we pray. And to help us know and experience and proclaim your stunning, amazing grace. This we pray together in Jesus' name. And again, all God's people say, amen.